Organissima New York. Your exotic skin, hair, and beauty source, and your one-stop shop for all your natural and organic skin and hair care. Featuring authentic organic Moroccan oil and prickly pear seed oil and much more. Bringing you only the best, straight from the source and proudly produced in the USA. So what are you waiting for? Shop today at www.arganissima.com. Arganissima, New York. Your beauty is our duty. Arganissima, New York. Folks, welcome to the iHealth channel. Welcome back to the iHealth channel, iHealth Radio, with a live Q&A uh, all the way from Australia with the one and the only Dr. Christian Heim. And this is Climb to Your Prime with Dr. Heim. It rhymes. <laughs> Thanks, Hurricane. It's great to be here. And what's the time? It's nine. So, you know, oh, okay. it, all, it all fits in. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Time for mental health, right? And uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's time for mental health. That's it. Well, you know, we've always said this, uh, physical health is important, mental health just as important. And I think sometimes the mental health is probably more important because it does affect everything else. Um, it does. So, so previously we've had Dr. Heim come on, you know, uh, we've had a couple of shows and uh, last one we had a QA and a uh, live. We had some questions and we kind of tackled a few topics. And of course, Dr. Heim has so much knowledge about this. I mean, that's his specialty. So we do have a few questions and uh, we did ask people to send us their questions. So we do have a few ones that I think we can hit on right away. So first of all, doctor, how are you? Welcome to the I'm show. I'm well. I'm well. It's a beautiful, sunny winter's day in <laughs> Queensland, Australia. It, it's amazing. You have winter, we're in summer. So, hey. <laughs> yep. What, what a world. What a world, right? Um, it is an amazing world, actually. Hey, listen. If it's functioning well or not. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of debate about that one these days right yeah yeah <laughs> well, and we, we can talk about that too in between all our questions here so so while we wait for any additional folks call in or you know people just uh letting us know what's going on um uh, sending in questions in that would be great uh in the meantime we can get some action going so first question um i am having a hard time with my anxiety i hate how i feel good, then it's like a switch and I'm in a bad mood. Anything I can do about this? Uh, yeah, so uh, one of the problems about anxiety is that it's episodic. There are things that trigger it, and then there are times that you feel calm. And the idea is that during the time that you feel calm, to do some deep breathing and have some positive self-talk, so something that you say to yourself, to saying, okay, things are okay at the moment, things are fine. So that when you're triggered and something triggers your anxiety, you're on top of it. You know what to do. And that is to do some deep breathing and to have some positive self-talk, which sort of goes, okay, I'm in an anxious uh, situation at the moment, but I don't need to be anxious. I can actually breathe through this and I know that I will be okay. And if you're not sure of that, then at the very least, you can always say to yourself, anxiety is just anxiety. The problem is just a problem. I will get through this. So again, it depends on what your triggers are, but during the times when you're okay, you actually rehearse so that at times you end up in anxiety, you've already got something prepared to do. I can elaborate on that if you want, Hurricane. <laughs> yeah, yes, please, Doctor. So, so I had I had a, a just the interjection there. So, so yeah, yeah. Uh, the the word anxiety. I know we covered this like in I think the first you know session that we had. Can we just expand on that? You know, for, for people that are listening, you know, what what is that? How is that even defined? So people can, uh, anxiety. Yeah, because people may have the same feeling here. So other yes, than the yes. person that asked, yeah. Okay, so actually. Feeling anxiety is normal. We all feel anxious to some extent. So the pro it becomes a problem, a clinical problem when it's too much. So I'm going to start off with fear because we all understand fear. 
if you're walking along and you come across a snake rearing ready to bite you, you are automatically going to feel fear so that your body can do something to save your life. It could be run in the other direction. It could be to just move gently out of the way, but you will be in a hypervigilant state and that happens automatically. It's what we call the fight or flight response. And it's part of the nervous system that is there to save your life. In your brain, there's a place called the amygdala that wants to keep you alive. <clears throat> so this is good. The difference between fear and anxiety is that fear is something real, like a snake, a saber-toothed tiger. But we live in a world now where you don't come across snakes every day. You don't come across saber-toothed tigers every day. You come across deadlines, social embarrassment, expectations, self-imposed rules, the fear of missing out. All these things are actually anxieties because they are more in our head. And it becomes a matter of uh, how we think about those things. And so an anxiety, in a sense, is an imagined fear. But here's the thing, Hurricane, it does the same thing to your brain. It activates your sympathetic nervous system and your amygdala is conditioned to think, I'm going to die if I embarrass myself in public. The difference is if a saber-toothed tiger mauls you, your chances of dying are pretty high. Your chances of dying of embarrassment in public are really very, very low. And so one of my rules is that anxiety can't kill you. Anxiety is just anxiety. So what do we do? If the sympathetic nervous system is activated, these are the times that we're triggered when we know that whatever is making us anxious has made us anxious. And before I was saying that the times that you're calm when you're not anxious, you practice. You deep breathe in, for three, hold for three, out for three, and hold for three. And you say to yourself things like, anxiety is just anxiety. And so this becomes a rehearsal, just like an actor would rehearse before going on stage, or a pianist would practice before they do a performance. You rehearse these things if you're an anxious person, so that when you're confronted with your anxiety, your brain goes, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then you just deep breathe and your brain goes, ah, oh, I remember this. This is when we tell ourselves that anxiety is just anxiety. This is when we start to chill. And the thing about deep breathing hurricane is that it's so physical and it would take me a while to explain, but it activates the opposite of the fight or flight, what we call rest and digest and your body will actually relax. Wow. Well, I, I, you know, I, I, I can, I can visualize actually the, the concept where you can just, you know, calm yourself down, right? Yeah. And, and just, just tell yourself that you're, this is not a problem. I can do this. Uh, and listen, yeah. I, I, I personally, you know, um, sometimes I get the stage fright type of thing when I do presentations or if I'm going in front of a big audience and I've done those in trainings and things. And I know a lot of people, even some actors, I know that they might have that before they get into a scene or like a, a set. Yes. And um, it is, you get your adrenaline kick in, you feel like, you know, oh my God, you know, uh, and nervous, you know, all that stuff is happening. And, and I'm assuming that is exactly the picture. And then, yes. you know, what I do is I just, you know, I'm going to do me. I'm going to go there. I'm not worried about what people think, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm going to do it. And happened even my first show, literally when I first uh, launched the, the, the channel and, and I wanted to do the first one, I did it three times before actually I went the first time I was so nervous, <laughs> you know, not, not because I couldn't figure it out or I can do it. It's just that, you know, I, I was mumbling to myself and it didn't work. So it wasn't live. So that, that was a good news. <laughs> and then, and then I had to work myself. And then I said, you know, I do this all the time. So what's the difference? I'm just in front of camera. Let me just talk. And I made myself natural to it. And I didn't care if I made a mistake or if I stuttered, whatever. I just went, you know, and focused on, on my topic and it, it went away like the first two minutes and then it was gone. And yeah. sometimes I've noticed you can feel it in your, even your voice. You can, you almost have like a little choke in your discussion. And then all of a sudden that tone is lucid is very, you know, nice and calm and it's solid. And, and that, that's been my personal experience, so. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's, that's actually very, very good because uh, one of the secrets is, and this comes from research that uh, my spouse does, 
almost every actor has stage fright or performance anxiety, right? So there are a few things that we can do about that. Uh, we can change the language. So instead of saying, I'm nervous, I'm really nervous, you can actually say, I'm excited. I'm really excited about this. Or, or somebody who goes, oh, I can feel that adrenaline. I can feel that adrenaline. This is dreadful. You can actually say, I can feel that adrenaline. I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. And uh, anxiety doesn't need to be a negative thing. It has this positive component that actually pushes you to perform better. In fact, we have this, this wonderful graph called the Yogg's Dawson um, Dodson curve, which shows that the more anxiety you have, the better you'll perform. So in other words, if you've got an exam in front of you, you'll actually study. Now, if it's too much anxiety, all right, that's, that's when things sort of fall down. But you want to keep it on that, on that upward trajectory where I've got just enough anxiety to keep me motivated to doing my best. Doctor, so I, I thank you. And, and I was going to just say, I have one thing, is that I, I can share what I felt, what I, what I do feel when I do that. And, and one yeah. of the feelings is usually my mind is like, you know, thinking, am I going to be up to the game here? Am I going to be able to deliver? I'm questioning myself before I get in. And so your mind starts playing tricks on you. Like, uh, yeah. now you start thinking about your performance, your quality, your, your, yeah. uh, your dialogue, whatever the pitch. And, and then also you're going to, you start thinking about how people are perceiving you. So I have actually worked some, some way around that magic. And basically I just blank everybody out <laughs> And yeah. I, I, or I focus on one person in front of me and, and, I, and I notice actually I've done something on the stage where they have enough lights. You don't see anybody anyways. Everybody's, you know, uh, wiped out in front of you. You just kind of see a bunch, uh, you know, of a dark room and, you know, you have lights in front of you, but, yes. but the more you think about it, the more you react, the more you just like, I'm just going to do me and go for it. Yes. And that's it. Yes. And, and that's been my personal experience. And I just wanted to share, you know, what I, what, what played in my mind when I literally felt those feelings, you know, when I stood up there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually so important because uh, our minds can play tricks on us and we lose focus and we focus on how we're being judged. Whereas if you find a focus, so let's say you're going for a really important interview and you're going, Oh, I'm going to stuff it up. I'm going to say the wrong thing. And you've got all this going. You just focus on something ridiculous and funny you imagine all the people that are interviewing you wearing a clown nose, right? <laughs> and if you focus on that, you sort of go, I'm going to do okay because they look pretty dumb. And that focus can keep you focused so that you just crowd out all those other signals that are almost sabotage type signals. And that's, you're right. I mean, that's exactly how, um, you know, it, it felt. It's just that, you blank out or to your point, maybe you think about them all just like funny <laughs> and that's it, but it works. And, and I've actually had, you know, uh, a discussion with other people that had the same feeling and they, they, it just, and I know, I think it's the number one, number two fear out there, like, you know, public speaking and standing in front of audience because people look at you and they stare yeah. and yeah. you just like, you don't know how you're doing. So sometimes you feel that engagement, you want to feel the engagement, especially if you're just pitching and not interactive, it's harder because Oh, you see, you can't read their faces and you can't read the emotions. And sometimes they're just solid and you get crazy. And that's why if you're interactive with a crowd, you feel much more, <laughs> you know, in, in, a, in a better place. So <laughs> that's so, right. Exactly right. Yeah. So, doctor, we have another question. Um, I am 27 and I have been struggling with depression since I was a teenager. Yeah. I keep feeling like I am falling in life. I'm, I'm failing in life. I'm sorry. The phone yeah. is dying. <laughs> I am failing in life. I've had some breakdowns and I just want to give up. I use alcohol yeah. to overcome the feeling. What can I do? Yeah. All right. Uh, that's a really tough one uh, because these are the sort of tough feelings that a lot of people, particularly in their 20s, are going through. When you're in your 20s, it's a very interesting time of life because you're just finding a niche, finding where you're uh, supposed to be. And that fear of failing is one actually that we all have to deal with. And this brings me to an idea that anything that we do, we can be judged for. But you can't be judged for who you are. 
right? So, so that brings to the idea that you're a human being, you're not a human doing. So part of the answer is to look at how people see you and you go to the people who love you. You look at how your mum sees you, how your dad sees you. And quite truly, Hurricane, every mum and dad may have expectation, but they always love people if you succeed or fail because they love you for who you are, not for what you do. Okay, but depression is really difficult. And this person has been suffering depression for over a decade, Hurricane. That's, that's absolutely horrible and it's really hard. And so people start to despair. So the, the first thing that I need to tell people is if you need to see somebody, do actually make that choice to see somebody, find a therapist or a doctor who can help you in your unique situation. However, I'm all about preventative mental health. So there are things that we can get on top of to help uh, depression. And I'm gonna talk brain chemicals, Hurricane, because depression basically uh, depletes our brain chemicals. It depletes our serotonin levels. It depletes our dopamine levels. It depletes our oxytocin levels and our beta endorphin levels. And that's why we feel really quite bad. And I gotta tell you, when it gets worse, there are more brain chemicals that it depletes. So we gotta to look to keep these brain chemicals up. As a psychiatrist, I use medications that directly increase somebody's serotonin levels and also their noradrenaline levels. But there are things that you can do that we can all do to keep these brain chemicals up in our own minds. So it's a winter's day in Australia, is the sun shining. And I've got to tell you, when I sit out in the sun there, I know that my dopamine and my serotonin levels are going up because you feel it. You feel the pleasure of the sunlight on your skin and that increases dopamine levels. And I kick my feet up and I feel at home in the sun. And that feeling of being at home increases my serotonin levels. So this is why in depression, one of the best things that everybody can do is exercise. Because as soon as you exercise, your body gets out there in the sunshine, in nature, the blood starts flowing through your whole body and your body actually starts to feel at home because your body is made to move. So your serotonin levels are going to go up. After a while, after the initial pain of doing the exercise, you start to enjoy it. You go, oh my gosh, I can do this. That brings pleasure. That brings up your dopamine levels. And if you exercise long enough, you will get an endorphin release, which is also a beautiful brain chemical that makes you feel good. Otherwise, you can do it, laugh. Or my favorite is always talking to people, Hurricane, because people will increase all of your, blood, uh, of your brain chemicals. The dopamine, the oxytocin, that's the feeling of love and trust, the serotonin and the endorphins. But I have to say, anybody who's um, uh, really struggling with their depression out there, if you need to find somebody, you need to find somebody to help you. Well, thank you, doctor. And and you just mentioned something about you know, I guess to be sociable, right? And 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 interactive uh, more with people because uh, that helps you change uh, you know the scene and change you know get a little bit out of your mood and things like that. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people sometimes don't like to be in the social settings, whatever the case. And actually, uh, you know, that may be a good reason why people get very depressed because they just not, I mean, I, we, you and I think we talked about today's society and the, the young generation where they're basically isolated in a, in a room yeah. <laughs> in front yeah. of a, a, a game. They're not even interacting with anybody. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate, but that's that's a trend that's coming up more. And in, again, uh, in this case, the person is a, an early age, 27. Uh, but I think that's common now in, in a lot more uh, in the millennial or even younger uh, group. So Hurricane, it is so common. And a lot has to do with the initial hump. I talk about an initial hump. And what I mean by that is there's a hurdle that we've got to get across to feel good. So I was talking about exercise. You've actually got to get off your butt, put your gym gear on and get down there and do something. And that's, that's painful. But once you get there, you feel good. People are the same. Whenever you meet somebody new, there's this initial hump, this, this terrible feeling of, oh, I have to get to know a new person. But once you get to know them and you start flowing, 
you start laughing with them. So it's looking at the long term to sort of say, I've got to get a bit of uh, initial discomfort to get the comfort that I want. And so the person who asked the question talked about alcohol. Mm -hmm. And there's a big difference between drinking to make yourself feel better or being in a social situation where you're drinking with people to loosen up a little bit. When you're by yourself, the alcohol will take away the depression feeling for a little while, but in the long term, it actually increases the depression. So to that person and anybody who is drinking to get on top of their depression, you have to try to take away the alcohol and move towards exercise. And that's hard. That's hard work. Again, we've got that initial hump, that initial effort, but the payoff is really big. But when you're with people, <clears throat> people are nervous. So a little bit of alcohol calms everybody down and people start laughing. So a little bit of alcohol, that's why we use it. That's why all of society uses alcohol. Wow. It's also harder to fight each other when you've got alcohol on board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're mellow, right? <laughs> mellow, yeah. yeah, yeah. Too much and you start getting aggro, right? You know? That that's true, and and but but again, thank you for that 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 you know advice there because um, I think a lot of people listening, watching this show would probably benefit from just these uh, elements here because I think a lot of people may experience the same thing again. Uh, these are all yeah. cases that you know that are very common, uh, yeah. and so 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 one more question here. Um, I the, the the question is about uh, someone. I let me just try to read it here. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I feel that I need some, you know, uh, help. However, I am not sure if I need to see a particular doctor because of my family and the stereotype that comes with it. Okay. Okay. So this is actually a good question because the question relates to uh, two things. When's the right time to see a doctor? And secondly, uh, the family that I come from uh, is part of a stereotype and I don't want to be judged for that, right? So uh, very sensitive issue. And I've got to say that doctors are trained to take care of people. We don't see the stereotype. We don't see the color of skin. We don't hear the language. We don't see the inflection. Whatever those things are, we are here to help people. And every person is worthy of care. So I'm not saying that doctors are perfect because they're not, but it's part of our training to make sure that we treat every person as a human being because every person has a right to care and a right to live the life of who they are. So let's divide it up into two. When do I go see a doctor? When you're worried, when things are getting out of hand, when you're not feeling safe, those three things are indications that I've got to see a doctor. Another indication is when somebody close to you says, I'm really concerned about you. I think you should see a doctor. So if somebody else has gone to that length, then it's probably time to see a doctor. And the best news that you can get to a doctor, uh, get from a doctor is for a doctor to say, you're basically okay. You just have to do this and you'll be okay. That's actually good news. But a doctor can make that decision if you need more help or not. So the second part of the question is getting over that idea of I'm part of a stereotype. And we are all part of only one stereotype. And that is the human race. We are all part of the human race. And we have set up this amazing society, this amazing medical system this amazing bunch of doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists to help each other. That's what we do as human beings. We help each other through. Well, thank you, doctor. Um, so, so I just wanted to add one thing to that question, yes. not, not on there, but uh, just as listening to, to, to your response. Uh, I, I know I've, I've heard this before, actually, where people are, are afraid, not, not only because of the stereotype, but also not to get medicine and get addicted to it. Because a lot of word out there is that you're going to get into this medicine and you can't get rid of it and no one wants to use medicine uh yeah. what what do you say to that because i think that's a phobia that i think that's have besides the stereotype and the environment i think people are afraid just to to get medicated 
Um, you know, especially they think that this is like a methadone type or some sort of, you know, long-term yes. treatment. Yes. Okay. So there, there, there are a few things about this. Firstly, there are, there are some people who, uh, who I find are just looking for a quick fix. So they want a medication. And often my job as a doctor and as a psychiatrist is to say, hey, there are things that you can do to take charge of the situation, some skills that you can develop that will serve you better in the long run than a medication. So particularly in the world that we're in at the moment, you'll find a lot of doctors will not go straight for the medication, that they will do what we call empower you, that there are things that you can do and give you those skills or help find the way to get those skills. On the other hand, if somebody is like really depressed, we know the best evidence is the first thing that can actually help you and in a lot of cases, save your life is medication. However, that's not actually your choice. We think that it's actually easy to diagnose depression in ourselves uh, or you look online and you fill out a questionnaire and people go, oh, you're depressed. But the thing is that, Hurricane, I have got decades of expertise and it is still difficult to actually diagnose mental illness. It looks easy on the surface, but there is so much more that goes beyond it, which brings me to the level of trust. Uh, it's actually good practice to find a doctor that you can trust and talk about these things. And when a doctor gives their assessment, they will say what is best according to the scientific evidence for your particular situation. And for some people, that will be medication. For other people, it will not be medication. The, the problem becomes in you deciding what you need even before you see somebody, right? Because you could actually be severely depressed and think I'm okay and you can get into trouble. Or you can think that you're okay when you're actually severely depressed and to have that professional eye look over your situation is actually always good practice. Thank you, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, Hurricane. <laughs> um, so, so a quick, uh, another question. Um, I have gained a lot of weight and I cannot stand myself any longer. Yeah. I, I just don't want to hang out with anyone. I feel very, very uh, not safe. Um, what can I do to change my situation? You feel very unsafe. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that what it said? It's unsafe. All right. Hurricane, I'm going to start this one with a story of somebody that I took care of many, many years ago. And uh, this was a, uh, a male in his 60s who uh, gained so much weight that he barely wanted to leave the house. What he wanted to do was actually to be in a love relationship. But hey, he said, who would want me? And so he wouldn't even ask people out. And he got to the stage where he thought, I can only be lovable when I lose weight. And we actually worked on that and we worked hard on that. And what we did was because he was a human being who, okay, he was carrying weight, but he also had a good sense of humor and he was uh, fun to be around and had a few particular interests. We got to the stage where he felt good about himself and he found himself a relationship before he started losing weight. So uh, the two are actually separate things, how you feel about yourself and the weight. Now, there is a lot of stigma attached to weight because people can see your problem and that is a big problem. However, in mental health, a lot of the stigma comes because people can't see your problem. So if somebody's depressed or anxious, they can't see that. Uh, the easiest problem to have is like a broken arm and you've got a cast on it and it's in a sling and people go, oh my gosh, you poor person, what happened to you? And so there's a lot less stigma. So what I say to people about, uh, about weight is you are a person. If you happen to have a lot of weight is a secondary issue that you want to work on it. That's fine. We will work on it. Weight is a very complex issue because for some people, it has to do with being depressed. Mm -hmm. For some people, it has to do with being anxious. For some people, it has to do with uh, actually having an eating disorder. And for the people that I see a lot of, 
it's got a lot to do with trauma. So there are a lot of females, for example, that feel very unsafe when they don't have weight on, because if I look too attractive, what that means is a male may come and attack me or want things from me that I can't give. So they actually feel safe when they've got weight. And for males, a lot of males feel safe <clears throat> when they have weight on because they're a bigger person. They're not going to get picked on. They're not going to be that little guy. All right. And all of these things have to do with psychological states that can be worked on. And it can be different for any of us, but you are separate as a person and you are worthwhile as a person, no matter what your weight status is. And I know that you can't just say that to yourself, that needs to be worked on. But that's actually the truth, Hurricane. That's the truth of the situation. Well, you know, I, I hear you and, and I've, in, in the fitness world, I mean, I've seen, you know, some of it myself. I actually, hard to believe, but there was a point in my life where I, I, I got very, very heavy for my size. <laughs> and, and it was very difficult, you know, uh, just to, to accept it in a way, because that was not what I was used to. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, just one year, I let it go. And uh, I went from almost 180, you know, uh, pounds to 245 pounds. Okay. And so, so for my weight and, and size, it was not looking good at all. <laughs> and and it, it, I this this actually happened to me in a way, but I mean, I didn't lose sleep about it. But I wasn't feeling too good about what I was seeing myself, but, you know, so it's, yeah, yeah. I really, I relate to this question <laughs> literally. Um, and, and, and so what I did, I mean, I had to, to take the leap of faith and just say, you know what, I had to commit to make a difference and just, you know, you know, eating healthier, you know, getting busier with, yeah. with, with gym and stuff like that. And, and really looking, you know, to make the difference. And it took about a few years really to, to get back to a decent level where I was comfortable with, you know, again, that look. Uh, and so the question was not mine, but literally, I mean, it, it's a question that I've, you know, I've lived myself. <laughs> yes, yes. And I just want to add one more thing. So, so we're talking about someone as an adult, but when you're a child, for example, and that's the other part where I think is more uh, problems. And I'm, I think maybe this question comes from someone that's a younger age. Um, yeah. the, the, the idea is you're in school, you got a little bit of weight, People make fun of you. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's depressing. It's crazy. Cause it's now, you know, yeah. And, and that's sad. I mean, but, but it is very common and uh, you know, I, I got teenagers and they go to school and you know, I hear all the stories, you know, good, bad, and the ugly. Right. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a very dangerous space when you have kids, you know, and uh, again, person doesn't feel safe. I'm not sure what that is, but you know, maybe they're not, you know, they're thinking bad stuff and, but, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, a, it's just a matter of being, I guess, um, aware and seeking the help, right, Doctor? Yeah, yep. it is being aware and seeking the help. And uh, one thing that I'd like to add to that is that <clears throat> I ask people to accept that they have a problem, but not accept the problem. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. Uh, if, let's say, you're 250 pounds, when you know you should actually be 170, uh, you have a problem right? But you don't accept the problem. You have to accept that you have a problem. So I am a person who is 250 pounds who wants to be 170. That is just a fact, right? You don't say, oh, I've got to accept that I am this weight. All that you need to accept is that you are a person that is this weight who would like to be a different weight. And here's the thing. You can work on that and you may have some success in that area or not, but you can always accept yourself as a person. If you never lose that weight, you can still be who you are. You can still be loving, kind, generous, friendly, and quite frankly, if people reject you simply because of your weight, they have a problem. Now, so I understand- yeah, I understand it doesn't feel that way, okay, because this world lives on inclusion and exclusion. But this is why people close to you, like your parents, like your siblings, like your children, like your friends, it would be pretty sad if you actually lost a friend because of your weight. A real friend, as you know, will stand by you mm -hmm. and won't care if you get rid of that weight or not. 
But if you want to get rid of that weight, they may help you. But if you say, I've got trouble, I'm not budging this weight, they'll go, you're still my friend. You and love them for what they are. People. That's right. We, we need to be accepted for who we are. Mm -hmm. If we're successes or not. Yeah. Again, this this particular, you know, the the, the obesity, the weight, uh, sometimes it can be the opposite. You can be just over skinny and uh, you're, you're just losing weight and people also like, oh, you're sick or something. And then they start, you know, giving you all that feel. And then some people have that just personality where they're sometimes not a strong personality to stand and just yeah. kind of believe in themselves. And so therefore they take that vibe. And actually, yeah. I was going to lead to to a question that's not from from anybody, but just something I've talked to my daughter about, yeah. and which is uh, teenagers specifically. Uh, it, yeah. It's a very competitive world, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, the girl in, in the girls' world, it's just crazy. Uh, they, they, they have to almost meet a certain look and feel to be part of the crew or part of the the the, the trend. Uh, yes. and, and that affects actually, you know, folks, because even my daughter, sometimes she has these discussions with me that, oh, that, uh, you know, I don't feel good about this because my, my friends, they, they don't like me or whatever the case may be. Um, not they don't like her, but, you know, they, they, they're with her one day, they're not with her the other day. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's very, so, it's so very hard. It's difficult for, for kids, uh, especially parents listening to this. I mean, you know, you probably, if you have a teenager, you're probably going through the same motion here. Yes. Uh, boys are different. Um, yes. but, but actually not even that different because I have 15 and 14 and my 14 was a little bit, you know, he gained a little bit of weight in, in, uh, COVID. And so he was not willing to go out and hang out anymore because of his look. He wanted to train first before he can go to school and he did. But, but again, that's how the kid's mentality is operating right now because yes. they feel that pressure. Yes, that's right. So, so we can go to the science on this uh, hurricane mm -hmm, because we have so much evidence to show that we are all influenced by society's values. Uh, two studies. One study was done in Fiji when television was first uh, introduced to this little island called Fiji. And after television was introduced there, the rates of anorexia, so females in particular who wanted to lose weight and look really skinny, really increased a lot. And why was that? Because they saw skinny females on television and that was what was valued. And so Islanders thought they had to start losing a lot of weight to be accepted. Now, the Fijian people, I love Fiji. They're some of the happiest people in the world. So they go from happy, content people to, oh, I'm not good enough. And another study that was done on another Pacific island called Tonga, it was one of the last places on earth to get television. And the whole island was looking forward to getting television. And the king of Tonga said, here is television. And depression rates increased after television was introduced to Tonga because people saw all the materialism, the cars, the, uh, the sofas, the furniture, all the things that people had. And they started getting these questions. Hey, chief, why don't we have all this stuff? So we are heavily influenced. And the thing is, like your teenage daughter, we are now in a very commercial driven society. And it's like all of us need to know, yes, we are part of a competitive commercial driven society, but real life is not like that. There's some garbage and pretense about the commercial driven society. Real life is with parents and friends and having things like love, fulfillment, security, and acceptance just for who you are, not for what you look like or what you do. Out there in the world of pretense and competition, we get judged for what we do and even what we look like, but that's not really the real world. That's not really the real, real world. The real world is at home with people that love you. And there's this balance that we all have, and this is particularly important for parents who have teenage children, right? You are there to provide safety and security from the big bad world. And when you can provide that, the children will go out in the big bad world and they will have some successes, but they will get hurt. And then they come home and they feel accepted no matter what happens. And that's that good feeling of love. 
because our world is competitive does not mean that we need to accept it that way. We just need to remember where real life is. Thank you, doctor. And, and you know, we, you touch on good science and also, I mean, you know, uh, real science, but, but there, there's, there's that, that point of, you mentioned TV. Yes. I, I have actually seen this happen in not just in, in those islands, but even in different cultures. Yes. Um, so again, I'm originally from Morocco and um, between the time I left 30 years ago to now, it has yeah. changed tremendously. Yeah. Uh, the trends are different. The, the yeah. young generations have changed tremendously because of access. Like back when I was a kid, the television system that we had was uh, five hours, starts at 6 p.m., ends about 11.30 or 12, I forgot midnight. And uh, there were there were very specific programming, including news and then some yeah. cartoons and that one movie and maybe some some other type of things, but it's done. Uh, and so, so we were very limited to the content and you only had literally it was one channel. Uh, this yeah. was in the early 70s. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, then the introduction of satellite and uh, access to all thousands of channels and they're not they're yeah. free. So you can just free to air anything you want in the world, switch yeah. satellite and get now, now the exposure is available to every single thing. And what I've seen in the world today, for example, almost as a pandemic you know, keyword for these days, the the uh, like for example some trends like some people are literally starting to look the same because of the procedures yes. that they undergo uh, Botox yeah. and all these things lifters uh, or fill, like uh, fillers and things like that so it's it's amazing but that's become like like you said you know they were skinny so everybody wants to be skinny and for a long time the models or the you know the the runway models and stuff they have a certain profile yeah and therefore if you want to look cool you want to be like oh I'm a model. And yep. you have to fit that certain profile. Same guys. I mean, if you don't have six pack and, you know, nice yep. packs, <laughs> you know, and chiseled stuff, it, it doesn't look good because that's that's the trend. Right. And, and it's yep. still to a degree happening. I think there's been a change in the culture because uh, you see more now of different types of models, uh, you know, at different sizes and things like that for different magazines, different audiences. So it's changing. But there's still that. And then you have like, again, the for example, right now in the influencers world in, in social media. Uh, yeah millionaires driving you know these cars and you know yeah. stuff like that so it's one in a million but but people are looking at that one in a million they just want That's exactly right. what that person yes. uh, you know so so unfortunately it, it is it is sad but it's reality and 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 it is causing a lot of i guess psychological effect <laughs> it is in fact it's causing so much and i'm going to go to the evidence again because the recommendation from because you're you're basically touching upon what a destructive influence um, media and screens are, okay? So the World Health Organization, this is our leading body in the world, uh, recommends that for the first year of life for infants, no exposure to screens whatsoever, nothing. And then up to the age of five, at the most, an hour a day, at the most. Now, that doesn't mean that after five years, you go to four hours a day. If they're saying no screens for the first year of life in less than an hour a day, that means there's a problem with it. That means we've got to limit it. And just because we have the choice of 100 channels does not mean that we have to watch 100 channels. And uh, this is the difficulty. We now have a consumer world. <clears throat> and don't get me wrong. It's a wonderful world. It's a world of a whole lot of opportunity. Mm -hmm. But we can't take it too seriously. We can take it for a little bit of entertainment, but if we start taking it too seriously, it becomes a case of garbage in, garbage out. And it's very hard to discern all the garbage that we are being fed and it's turning up in our lives. As you say, it is, it is a very sad situation that glamorous people all start looking the same uh, or that everybody feels they've got to have a certain look or a certain body to be accepted. And this is not life. This is part of the pretense of consumer society. And I will go back to your family and friends that will accept you as you are. And even the world needs you. The world needs exactly who you are. And that means that there is something about you that is different from absolutely everybody. So I say to a lot of people, one of the aims of life is to be the best you that you can be, not the same as everybody else. But that's a whole new topic, Hurricane. 
Well, and that's and that's a great advice. And maybe next time we'll talk about it. You know, <laughs> in, maybe in, we in will. Detail. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, so, so on that same aspect. So we talked about the influence in terms of the look, but I think yes. there is another piece that comes with with this with the social media and the uh, the exposure to to multiple channels and the world in 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 as a small village basically on on online. Yes. I mean, we're talking from two parts of the world right now, right? Yes, we and, are. And and so one of the things, for example, I think that causes stresses. On, on individuals all over. For example, you know, we're in the US and Australia, pretty, you know, stronger economy and things like that. But yes. people are seeing things in parts of the world that, as you said, on those islands, they, they don't have the means to buy the same furniture or the same access to things that we have technology and so on and so forth. Yes. And so, so now they want to do exactly what it's on that TV and they can potentially go crazy to do certain things that can affect them, whether it's criminal or other, it creates another vibe. And sometimes it's uh, they do things that they're not supposed to and break the law, whatever, because they yeah. want to attain something that is uh, very highly achievable, but you know, or, or, you know, high to achieve rather. And, yeah. uh, but they do whatever it takes because now they're like mesmerized with this thing. Like I want yes. this. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, uh, uh, what you're saying is right. And uh, as a psychiatrist, what I encourage people to do is to use their power of choice. And it's an unfortunate narrative in science for the last couple of decades that says that we are all just uh, chemical reactions and physical atoms, and we have no real choice. Because the science shows that 98% of us know that we make choices every day. I have chosen to come here, I choose the words, and I can choose what I do with my time every day. And so when I'm working with somebody in my office, uh, I'm reliant on the choices they make. I may offer suggestions, but they have to make choice. So in our society, we have to recognize that the consumer machine is there to influence our choices to do what other people want us to do. But as essence, in fact, one of the most basic things about being human is having choice, having self-responsibility, having autonomy, being the driver of your own life. And so I need to encourage people that see all this wonderful internet stuff as a series of choices, but you are going to be defined by the choices that you make. And those choices, that ability to actually make choice is very precious. And we even know which part of the brain takes care of the choices. It's called the orbitofrontal cortex. So we all make choices and I encourage people to make choices that are good for them. Well, thank you, doctor. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the time and I'm conscious about it. <laughs> and we, 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 it that 45 minutes went by so quick. It's not even funny. It's, it's just like time flies when having fun, right? <laughs> yeah, it does actually. It does. Oh, but but that's a good thing actually you know as long as it's productive and, and you're having fun and i think this is productive and we're having fun and i think it's productive for a lot of people watching or listening right now uh i i do want to just seal today with with just a, a common question we're well, not coming a uh, a theme of today and yeah. uh, uh, maybe this could be the segue to the next session we can start the next you know month uh discussion about it further but um the impact that we see today in society with the closures, the lockdowns you know, yes. and the decisions that are being made around the world in terms of COVID vaccination yes. versus non vaccination, uh, all these things, you know, it's like almost a debate going on in, in the world yes. right now. Uh, maybe in just maybe a couple of minutes, if we can just talk about that and then uh, hopefully we yeah. can just make it as the end of the show and then start, you know, next time with it and just capture more because I think this topic is going to be ongoing. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I agree. So, so, so in your opinion, you know, what is the level of impact that is happening right now in the psyche of people? Because it's just crazy. I, I, everybody is in, in a position or another, either for or against. And, you know, people are literally lost. They don't know what to do. Do I travel? Yes. Do not travel? Uh, my kids are going to school. How are they going to do this? Mask, no mask. Uh, we thought with the vaccine would be nothing. And now we have this. Countries are shutting down again. It is very crazy. It uh, is very crazy. It and and the word crazy, crazy it sounds weird on, on, on our talk. <laughs> I don't mind the word because it has, it has these fun connotations to it. Uh, I know a lot of people see it as uh, derogatory, but it's never meant that way. Uh, okay, so did you want me to speak to that, Hurricane? Briefly, I know, I know we, we, we said we're going to you know, end it you know, uh, shortly. But <laughs> if, so, okay, so, so, so briefly, uh, 
the crazy situation that we're in at the moment, the polarization is actually a result of us living in a free world where we actually get to have choice. So choice in itself is a good thing. But let's take it to the pandemic. The science is actually very clear. Uh, the science is that we need to get to a, um, a herd immunity before we can open things up uh, entirely. And the science also shows that lockdowns are very difficult on the psyche. Uh, what the science uh, hasn't looked at is how this polarization affects the psyche. And that is actually uh, a very difficult topic because that I think is affecting people more than anything else. Because yes, lockdowns are not good for mental health. However, the epidemiologists would like us to get to the stage where we don't need to use lockdowns anymore. Uh, at the moment, however, uh, look, so we're about to go into a lockdown here in, uh, in Queensland, and the rest of the world is debating whether they should come out of lockdowns or not. Do they have enough vaccination or not? Uh, lockdowns are initially necessary, but we are all moving towards a situation where we don't need lockdowns, and that's what's going to be best for mental health. What would be really nice if we were all able to follow the science and cooperate but as a result of being in a free society, we freely debate these things, but it's, it's not a 50-50 thing. The amount of anti-vaxxers, for example, is a lot smaller, but significantly large enough a group to have an impact, particularly in the United States. But the science, the word science means knowledge in the sense of what we can all agree on is real. So the way forward in a lot of issues, not just in the pandemic, is to trust the science to get us through this very difficult time. And then we can go back to the free and open debates that we're having at the moment. But science is actually there to help us get through and survive together. And I hope that's what we do, Hurricane. Thank you for our discussions, Hurricane. And I wanna thank your listeners for bringing in some questions too. And uh, yeah, so, so thanks to everybody out there uh, we're, we're here to answer your mental health questions and to keep your mental health on the balance, keep you enjoying life. Uh, but life is also going to be a bit of a struggle. It's a balance between fun and struggle. So if we can get through that, that together, we're doing pretty well. Well, thank you, doctor. And so folks, um, stay tuned for our next uh, I guess session Q and A's will be uh, in the end of August, I believe. And so we, we'll confirm that, you know, uh, and we'll share that, you know, post with everybody. So look forward to that next one, Dr. Haim. Thank you uh, for for being with us, and uh, you know, uh, as always, it's a pleasure. Uh, it's a pleasure you, for me, Hurricane. You, you have a great morning. <laughs> and you have a great night. Thank you, sir. <laughs> and we'll talk soon. Ciao, ciao. Thank you. Bye, bye. Bye.